Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together and to worship you and to study your word. We ask that your spirit guide and lead us as we examine what you would want us to learn from this. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Kings chapter 2. Um, got four pages of notes, so I don't know how far we're going to get in this uh, chapter. It's only 25 verse, uh, verses long, but I, I think there's a lot in it. Starting at verse 1. And it came to pass when the Lord would take Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Tarry here, I pray you, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said to him, Know you that the Lord will take away your master from your head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold your peace. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray you, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord lives and as my soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Know you that the Lord will take away your master from your head today? And he said, answered, Yea, I know it. Hold your peace. And Elijah said unto to him, Tarry you, Tarry, I pray you, here, for the Lord has sent me to, jo to the Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives and as my soul lives, I will not leave you. And the two went on. And fifty of the sons of the prophets went and stood afar off, and they too stood by the Jordan. We're going to stop there. So we see here, uh, our last chapter, we saw Elijah um, calling down fire on a hundred different men in, in two different groups, and one finally begging him to have mercy, and he went down to see the king, told the king that he was, you know, was going to die because he didn't, didn't want to follow after God. Um, and Elisha, we know we were introduced to him at the end of 1 Kings. He, he was called. And he said, follow, you know, basically like Jesus did, follow, you know, follow after me. And, and we see Elijah just left everything, you know, back. He took and he did what God really wants us to do. And he took away his farm intimates, burnt them, offered the animals as a sacrifice and left. So this has been Elijah's determination. He follows after Elijah full heartedly, all right, completely. Now, we don't have much about Elijah, Elisha up until now other than that one event. And now we see, and it came to pass when, when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And I'm going to get these confused somewhere in the midst. I'm going to get Elijah and Elisha mixed up, and I'm sure of it. Uh, but they're going to start at Gilgal. Now, you go, well, where's Gilgal? We don't know. All right. Um, Gilgal was the first campsite that the children of Israel camped in when they came into the Promised Land. They crossed the Jordan, we believe, just north of Jericho, and they camped. So somewhere north of Jericho is Gilgal, not too far from the Jordan River. So they're going to start there. Where exactly that is, we don't know. You'll see speculation, some maps put it on there, and if they do, they usually put a question mark on it because they don't know where it is. But they're going to leave Gilgal and go on a trip, all right? And almost like a circuit. Now, Gilgal is also a very famous thing. It not only was the first campsite of the children of Israel when they came into the Promised Land. This is in Joshua 4. Uh, when they crossed the Jordan River, manna stopped coming down from heaven. The manna stopped is where they had their first Passover in 40 years, was in Gilgal. We find that at Gilgal, King Saul was anointed by Samuel in Samuel chapter 11. They anointed Saul in Gilgal. Uh, it appears to be where Samuel had his headquarters in, uh, in, in 1 Samuel. And in later days... It became a place of idolatry, according to Hosea 4, chapter, uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 5, 19, verse 15, and 12, verse 11. And Amos, chapter 4, verse 4, 
and 5, verse 5. So Gilgal is well represented all through the scriptures. We just don't know where it's at. Is that where all the Israelites were circumcised? Uh, yes. I'd left that part out, yes. When they came in, they were circumcised there. They had their first, they had their first uh, Passover in the, since, since Egypt. So it was a big event place. A lot of things have happened there. Um, Hosea. Oh, Hosea was four to five. Now. Four, verse five, nine, verse fifteen, twelve, verse eleven, and then Amos. So Gilgal, be very famous place for us not knowing where it's at. Uh, the map I gave you shows it kind of north northeast of of uh, Jericho, but who knows? Nobody knows for sure. Yeah. And, and if it wasn't this map, other maps have a little question mark if, if they show it at all. We do know that it's somewhere north of Jericho, and it's fairly close to Jericho. All right, so that is as good as any other guessing, guessing for it. All right. Uh, and verse 2 says, And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, and basically says, Stay in Gilgal. God has called me to go to Bethel. Now, apparently... Elijah knows that he's going to die or be taken. Elisha knows that he's going to be taken. And he's and not really sure why he is telling Elijah, Elisha to stay. Right? And there's a couple of different things that I kind of think about. Is he testing Elisha's loyalty and dedication to continue to follow him? Uh, we see that when Paul is headed back to Jerusalem before he goes to Rome. Everywhere he goes, the, the leaders are saying, You've got to, you can't go to Jerusalem because if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be arrested and you're going to die. And he still goes. All right? We're seeing here, Elijah tells Elisha, stay. So is he telling him to test his loyalty? Is he telling him because he doesn't want to see Elisha uh, hurt? You know, I'm going to die. God's going to take me. I don't want you anywhere nearby to, to see it. We don't know. I kind of believe it's to say, are you listening to God? Are you going to do, you know, what God, God wants you to do? But I can't prove that. You know, each, everybody's going to look at this in a different, different light. And Elisha says, no way. <laughs> you know. It says in, in the poetic language, as you live and as, as the Lord lives and as you live, I am not going to leave your side. Um, it's kind of reminiscent of the statement of Ruth to Naomi. I'm not leaving you. Where you go, I will go. You know, uh, and so we see this dedication from him to say, I am not going to be left behind. All right. Um, and then in verse 3, we get introduced to the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel. Now, the sons of the prophets are not people that were born to the prophets. All right? This is a very fancy title uh, for men who were learning to be prophets. All right? Uh, they, we would look at it as kind of like a seminary or a college and they were going there to learn how to handle the word of God more than anything else. Because we've talked about this. A prophet was not just somebody who told the future. They basically were anybody who spoke with God's authority. In the New Testament age, we basically call them prophets, pastors, evangelists, people who speak with the authority of God. So these guys weren't just telling the future. They were learning to handle the word of God be the teachers of the people, and we would use a term they were in seminary or college. And the head of that appears to have been Elijah, right? Because they're calling him master, they're calling him your master, and they're going out to reach out to him. And so they're headed to Bethel. And the location of Bethel, just in case you're interested, is about 10 miles north of Jerusalem and about 15 miles northwest of Jericho. All right? So it's out there. It is very famous. It, it, is, it has been known for a long time. It's the house of, it got the name, the house of God. 
and that goes all the way back to Jacob when he fell asleep and had his dream and he saw the, the uh, ladder to heaven and the angels going up and down and he said, behold, this, was the, you know, this is the, the house of God and he named it Bethel, house of, and is Beth and El, house, and then uh, Beth is house and El is God. So he said, this is the house of God. All right, uh, and so it's been that name ever ever since that, as far as the Israelites are concerned. So now they're headed there, and they they come up there, and these training prophets come up to Elisha and say, uh, very interesting. Uh, do you don't you know that the Lord will take away your master from your head today? All right, and this is kind of an interesting statement. Uh, because they're telling him Elijah is, going to, Elijah is going to die or at least be taken. It doesn't say die and he doesn't die. And his answer is, um, yes, I know it. Be quiet. <laughs> you don't have to say anything. I know that this is going to happen. All right. Uh, so here's these guys. They are learning to be leaders in what we would call the best, best thing for a seminary. They're, they're learning how to be leaders, learning how to handle the God's word. Uh, they would be sent out on tasks to go, to go minister to people. They would most likely have a circuit of cities that they would go to. Um, they, had a, they had a man that would be their leader. Uh, in, this, in this chapter, we see that they're saying your leader, or you could have even said our leader, because it is believed that Elijah was the head. He was the one recognized as their master in, in their school. Um, there's a group called the Band of Prophets in 1 Samuel, Samuel that it looked like Samuel was the leader of, and he was training them. And Saul went out and he, met, he w wandered around with the Band of Prophets. Uh, so we see this term in other places. Um, they um, oftentimes would erect buildings as a group. They had kind of a commune type place in in Second uh, Kings six. We're going to see that there's going to that they go out to build a building because they say the building they're currently in is too small. Uh, it says straight, but but it meant too small. They're too tight, and they go out and they go to build a new building. Um, in Second Kings four, we see that they had communal meals together. Uh, they were practicing a very strong relationship with each other and drawing upon each other. And one of the greatest things when I was when I was in Bible college that I and, and that I loved was just the, the meeting with other guys that had go, you know the goal of being a pastor and the discussions we would have and the deep discussions and we talk about the word of God and all those things were so much fun. Um, you know, and, and this is what these guys are doing. They're in a group setting, learning, to, learning about God, being taught, going out and serving God. And they come up to Elisha and say, you're following the master, the leader is going to be taken away. And this would be quite a statement, especially if you didn't understand or didn't know it. Uh, and you know, we, we, we look at this, and how many times will a church or a group falter when their leader passes away or moves on or retires or whatever the case is? This is a critical junction for this school of leaders. The one who's been leading them is going to be taken. And there's always changes that will come about. And sometimes those changes are hard. Uh, because every time you switch a leader, that leader has certain things that they think is important. And for us as Christians, it's always a good thing because God will move the, the church, the, the school, whatever, forward in another area. It'll be hard because we get used to things. If God ever moves me from here, who knows who will come in and what their priorities will be. And there will be changes. And we see this all the time. There's changes that happen. Um, the Calvary Chapel movement's doing the same thing. Chuck Smith died a few years ago now, and they're, 
they're kind of in flux as they're getting a new head over everything. And this happens over and over when, when people move on, um, die, <laughs> retire, whatever it might be, there's going to be changes. And here they're reminding Elisha, hey, you've been following this guy. We don't really have a time frame, but he has been the one-on-one. -on -one. Right? He has very clearly been the heir apparent for Elijah. Everywhere that Elijah goes, Elisha's there. All right? And good leaders do this. They develop people to take over positions and make the transition easier, hopefully. Uh, but these guys were always looking for the next anointed leader. All right? Who is, who's got the, the mantle to be the leader? And Elijah's been that leader for, for a while. He's the one instructing him. Miracles have gone along with him. And so they're going to be looking for who is it that's going to hear from God? Who is it that we can listen to and know that they're speaking for God? And then we see a repeat in verses 4 and 5. <laughs> they, they leave Bethel. And again, Elijah says, uh, stay here and basically stay here in Bethel because I've got to go to Jericho. All right, so they left Gilgal and went to Bethel. We don't know exactly where that is. Now they're leaving Bethel to go to uh, Jericho, which we know is about 15 miles. <laughs> uh, so here we have this trip, and he's doing this little circuit. I almost think... He's doing one of two things. He's either trying to lose Elisha and get him, keep telling him to stay, or he may also be doing a goodbye circuit. And I kind of think it's a goodbye circuit. He's going to each of the schools and just saying, uh, see you all later, it's time for me to go, uh, farewell. <laughs> uh, doing his farewell, doing his farewell circle. Um, and the prophets there in, in Jericho say the same thing to Elisha, don't, don't you know that your, your, the, your uh, master is going to be d taken away from you? And he, says, and he says the same thing, yes, I know, now be quiet. <laughs> and literally it's that strong, yes, I know, be quiet. Speak no more about this. All right. I, and I'm wondering, is he just wanting to make sure that nobody's trying to depress him? This is the person he's been walking with for a period of time. We see it even with the disciples. They walk with Jesus for four years. Jesus is crucified and they go into depression. Even though he told them over and over again, in his case, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again in three days, they just about fall apart. Elijah, Elisha has not had this. He just knows he's going to lose the one he's been looking up to. And, you know, we, we kind of look at this. We all have somebody that we've looked up to over our lives at various times. That have been, been our teacher, been our, been our discipler, uh, whatever. And it is hard when they're taken out of our life for whatever reason. Whether they die, whether they, whether they fall flat on their face, we move, whatever the case is, there's a change in our life. And this is what he's looking at. He has been personally discipled by Elijah for years. He knows Elijah very well. Elijah has been his strength. He, Elijah has been, will be the one that he's gone to whenever he had a question. Just as if all of us have people we go to when we have a question, this is, this is what Elisha has. He says, this is, this is the one that I go to. I trust him completely. He is my, outside of God, he is my everything. And we've got to remember, this is a time before a lot of written books. At this point, they're dealing completely with just the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible and a little bit of history. Uh, they're in the process of writing all the other books in, in the Old Testament. So we see here, everything about him is, is geared toward Elijah. And uh, they're working on and been told Elijah's not going to be here much longer. Big deal. We don't know, other than God. I don't know if Elijah. Everybody knows so it's God. It's God. I think God's speaking to each of these people. Um, because if Elijah had been told that, I don't think he'd have made it well known. But they all know it as he's getting there. 
Elisha and seems to know before they're getting here. So God has spoken. Uh, Elijah said something that God, we don't know exactly how this is gotten out. They're all prophets, so it's very likely that God spoke directly to the groups. Um, but everybody knows, and nobody's denying. And Elisha is like, I'm not leaving you until, until the last possible moment. Maybe, maybe he's thinking, I'll get to go with you if, I, if we're not separated. I don't know. I don't know what he's thinking. Uh, as, as we go there. Um, but the, and then in verse 6, we see the same message coming out again. Um, you know, Elijah says, Terry here, because I've got to go to the Jordan. And in this case, it's shortened down into one verse. In the same verse, Elijah says, no, I'm not leaving you. I will not leave you. And they two went on. Now, Elijah is not pushing too hard against Elijah, which is why I'm, I kind of lean to the idea that this is a test. Is he listening to God? Because uh, if he was really wanting him to stay, he'd push. He'd push for him to stay. Like, look, I told you to stay. I'm the master. You stay. But he's not, he's not pushing back hard, and he's listening to him. So I don't know. I, I really do think this is a test. Are you, are you going to be persistent enough to be with me up to the end? Now, I can't prove that. There's nothing in here to say one way or the other why. Uh, but now they go down to the, the, Jer uh, the Jordan River. And then we have this very interesting statement. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off, and they too stood at the Jordan. Now, the Jordan River is not too far from Jericho. So they have gone down Jericho the Jordan River cuts deep, deep uh, holes and, and things all through there. Uh, it's, it's not real flat. They might have gone up to the same uh, fording area that the children of Israel crossed. And I have a feeling they did. <laughs> but the 50 of the prophets, which tells you how large these schools are. I mean, these aren't just 10 or 20 people. 50 of them... <laughs> followed them up and, and stood afar off to see what was going to happen. And they're down by the Jordan River. I personally believe that they're at the place where the children of Israel crossed the first time because of the miracle that goes along with this. Um, so moving on, verse 8. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters and they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry land. And it came to pass, when they were gone over, that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I be taken away from you. And Elisha said, I pray you let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken away from you, it shall be unto you. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass as they went, still went on and talked that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw him no more and cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more and took hold of his own clothes and rent them into two pieces. And he took also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Okay. Very interesting. This word for taken means to be snatched away. And so it's, he's almost knowing all the way through that he's not just dying. God is literally taking him. Now, he, doesn't, and he might be at this point thinking he's taking his life, but it literally means snatched. So it's a very interesting word that they chose here. Nobody is saying that he's going to die. He's just going to be taken. And while they're standing there at the River Jordan, Elijah takes his outer, outer coat jacket off thing. He wraps it up into a nice tight, tight uh, wrap and smacks the River Jordan. And the River Jordan splits into two and allows them to walk. And note that it says, on dry land. So this isn't just a miracle, you know, they didn't dam up the water and they walked across the mud. That This is the miracle that God did at the Red Sea. Split the water, they walked on dry land. This is the miracle that God did in 
uh, judges when they crossed the, the flooded uh, uh, Jordan River. When the, and that one was even, even harder. The priest had to walk with the Ark of the Covenant. As soon as their feet stepped into the water, the water split. And they walked on dry land, which is, that's a pretty, you know, in the Red Sea, it said the winds blew and everything. You could almost picture the winds drying out the, drying out the Red Sea's uh, base. This one, when they went across on the Jordan, and, and the priest stepped into the water, and instantly the water was backed up and allowed three and a half million people to walk through on dry land. There was no wind in there to, to, to dry it out. There's no wind here to dry it out. They're going to cross over on dry land. Now, I don't know if anybody's ever been swimming in a lake or a river, and you get you know, all the mud down at the bottom, all right? especially if you get out beyond the beach where, where they keep the sand and everything. I, I love to dive down and figure out how, where, how deep it is and, and get to the mud and everything. And it was always... You know, a lot of fun to bring up hands full of mud and show everybody, you know, yeah, going down. But here they're crossing the Jordan River right after it is split and it's dried for the two of them. And they cross over and you've got 50 men up on the hilltop watching them. And... It obviously, later on, we're going to find out that it splits again. So it obviously clips back in after, right after they got to the other side. So the Jordan River has stopped running and had people pass over it three times that we know of. Once for the entire nation of Israel to cross over so they could conquer the promised land. And now this time that Elijah has come and smacked the water. And later on, Elisha is going to smack the water with the same coat. You know, and this is a beautiful picture because in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 and 2, it tells us that the Red Sea crossing was a picture of baptism unto Moses. All right? And we've talked about this. In, in, in the Old Testament, in the, in the Jewish institutions, baptism was a symbol of who is your head? So the children of Israel walked through the Red Sea and they were said they were baptized into Moses. When they crossed, when the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River, it doesn't say it anywhere in the scripture, but I think it's the same picture. They're no longer under Moses' authority. They're crossing into Joshua's authority and God uses the River Jordan to be their symbol of their baptism, even though they're not getting wet, to be switching from the teachings of Moses to the leadership of Joshua. Here, we're getting ready to switch from Elisha as being fully baptized into the leadership of Elijah, even though he has already been there. And when he comes back, he's going to split the Red, the Red Sea, yeah, the River Jordan, <laughs> come back through as a baptism unto him because we have the leaders watching down on him and saying, oh, here's our new leader. Baptism is something that is very important for believers. Not that we go to heaven, but that we recognize whose authority we are under. And for us as Christians, our authority is under Jesus Christ primarily and, you know, I've talked to people. There are some churches out there that require you to be baptized if you switch churches and everything. And I understand their logic because they're saying you're, you're abiding under different doctrines. Now, I don't, I don't agree with it because my baptism is unto Jesus. But, you know, it's important to be baptized in obedience because you're showing I'm dying to my old ways and I'm now going to be obedient to new ways. And this is what is hard for us as Christians sometimes. If we do not fully commit ourselves to be followers of Christ in all areas of our life, we're not fully baptized into him and saying, you're my new leader. And it's easy. If we want to follow the world's ways, it's easy to get stuck in the world's ways. 
Um, you know, well, God, you know, I just don't, I don't have time for whatever. I don't have time for church. I don't have time for reading my Bible. don't have time for praying because I am just so busy doing whatever the world puts in front of us. And it's easy to get wrapped up in the world. It really is. And God is saying, are you going to follow me? Is your attitude toward what the world says going to change to the attitude of what I say? Having a biblical worldview as opposed to a worldly worldview. And it's easy to have a world's worldly worldview because we are bombarded by the world's standards all the time. Our flesh wants to follow the world, which is why our flesh has to be crucified. We have to change the way we think, and God will continually be changing the way we think for the rest of our life. Because we always think incorrectly by standards. And as long as we are in this human body, we are going to have a battle inside us to think the wrong way. And it's so easy. You know, somebody comes up and tells you, well, you know, I've been having such a hard time with my spouse, you know, and, you know, they're this, that, and the other thing, and they're, and they're nothing but trouble. And what is the first thing we say if we're looking at it from the world's point of view? Well, they're so miserable, you should just get rid of them. Well, you know what? Nowhere in my Bible does it say get rid of them just because they're not making you happy. Matter of fact, the only place in the Bible that it says anything that's legal about divorce is if, for the case of adultery. And then you don't have to do it. It's allowable. Because that's what Jesus told them. They go, well, why did, they say, why did Moses say that we could, we could divorce under, uh, for adultery? And he goes, because of your hard hearts. I, we, knew, we knew that you would not be forgiving, so we allowed you to be able to get out of it under that circumstance. Before that was the death. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they got to die first. But, you know, this is the point. How do we think? Are we thinking the way the world thinks? Are we willing to be forgiving? Are we willing to give honor to those who honors do? Are we willing to stand, stand strong for God? Are we willing to die for God? You know, or are we stuck thinking the way the world thinks? And if we're not reading our Bible, we're not being taught, we're not going to church, we are going to be stuck with the world's thoughts. This is why when I meet people go, well, I don't have to come to church to be a Christian. I'm going, you are absolutely right. You do not have to come to church to be a Christian. You will not be a strong Christian. You will not be a growing Christian unless you come to church. Because you need to be in the Word of God and you need to be taught and your thinking has to be changed and you have to have an accountability to people around you. Because it is real easy to, to start doing whatever when there's nobody accountable. And it's very hard to be doing what's right if nobody's going to hold you accountable. And we need this pe we need people in our lives to look at and say, wow, you know, you're doing really good or I'm really concerned about the direction you're going. And all of us have been there where somebody's given us a call and saying, you know, I've missed you or where have you been or, you know, uh, how's things going? And it's very important to have those people in our lives. And this is what's going on here as well. He's being baptized in this whole area. And when they get across, it says they're, they're walking along, talking. I kind of would be interested to find out what they were talking about at this point in time. Um, because Elijah is really going to acknowledge that he's leaving. And uh, verse 9 says, And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said to Elijah, said to Elisha, what do you want me to do for you before I am taken away from you? So now we don't know if Elijah has said this before, but now he's saying, I'm going to be taken away from you. And again, the word is snatched away. All right. So it's not just I'm, I'm dying, I'm going to be taken. And Elijah's answer is very interesting. He says, I pray you, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Now, this is kind of an interesting statement. 
a double portion is what was given to the eldest son in a family. Now, we've talked about this. The double portion just wasn't to make the, the oldest son richer than everybody else. It did, but that second portion had a very important part. It was not technically the oldest son's to use. It was his to take care of the rest of the family with. So if, you know, his brother got in trouble and lost, lost all of his property, he would go back and redeem the property with the double portion that he had gotten and, and bail his brother out or sister. You know, his job was to take care of the family with this extra portion. Elisha is saying, you're going you're gonna to leave. I'm, I'm the, basically saying, I'm the heir apparent. I want the double portion. I want to have enough to do what you did, plus be able to take care of any problems that are out there. This is a pretty powerful statement that he's asking for. You know, is there actually a, a verse somewhere that describes that about the firstborn? Uh, just that they got a double portion. It was, you have to go into the customs. But it would be in there rather than just uh, tradition or so? Most of it's tradition and customs. We know that they gave a double portion. Uh, but you have to, to be able to fully understand what double portion is, you have to go into the customs. Customs of. I'd have to look it all up. But there's a number of places where it talks about it. A number of places where it talks about the double portion. Um, but see, the whole process is here. He's saying, I want to be treated as the firstborn who's, have, who's been given the authority to be in charge. And it's kind of an interesting statement. In the, but he's saying, you know, we've got all these schools. You, you just did a visit of a bunch of, the, of, our, of our schools. You're, you have been the master. And he's kind of being very bold in this. I want to be the next, basically saying, I want to be the next master of the schools. Uh, and maybe that is why he stayed close to him the whole way, so that he'd get that honor and be given that position. And this is this whole process. Uh, we see God in the children of Israel chose Joseph to be the one that gets, got the double honor because Joseph has two, both of his sons became tribes of Israel. So Joseph had a double portion given to him by God in the, in the family of Jacob, even though he wasn't the oldest. Matter of fact, he was the second youngest. God chose him. Now, unfortunately, God oftentimes chose, chose the younger brother to be the one that was going to get everything and be exalted. But here we see this whole process says, I want the double portion. And one of the things that has been said, and I haven't verified it completely, but it's, they, many people have said that in this section that Elisha gets two of the same miracles. He'll, he'll help two widows. He'll do two resurrections. He'll do two of everything to prove that he got the double portion. So, and uh, Elisha's answers to him is kind of an interesting thing, especially when you read it in the, in the King James. He says, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, it, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be unto you. If not, it shall not be. Now, in this, it's, you have asked a hard thing is not really hard as far as, it was impossible, but it is a difficult thing for you. It is a burdensome thing is a better definition. He's going, are you really sure that this is what you want? And this is something that people have to really understand. Responsibility comes with position. All right? And this is something that's important. If you choose to be the head of something or the or the leader of something, there's a lot of responsibility that goes on top of that, not just being in charge. You know, many times in the world, especially, think, oh, it's so great, I'm in charge. Sometimes being in charge is not all that great. There's a lot of pressure involved. People are looking at you. They expect things from you as if you're going to be a good leader. And Elijah is telling him, it's quite a burden to be in charge. You know, 
and we're looking at you know two different schools that they, that they visited, uh, large enough that 50 guys from the school come and watch them cross the cross the River Jordan, and, and if that was all of them, and I don't think it was because it said 50 of them followed. There's at least 100 men probably between the two schools, and that, and I believe they were much larger than that. So he's got huge responsibilities for the two schools he's taking on, and. How many times did Elijah get in trouble because he had to say hard things to the king? And he's basically saying, uh, are, you really, are you really cognizant of what you're asking for? You want the double of my spirit. Okay, that's great. Does that mean he got double the problems too? Most likely. One thing I have learned, the more you draw close to God, the more he uses you, the more you start getting attacked. And we need to get used to that idea. Why? Because we're making ourselves a target to the enemy. The more we get used by God, the more the enemy does not like us. All right? Now, most of us will never get high enough to irritate Satan well enough to draw his direct attention. Elijah and Elisha probably did. Uh, you know, guys like Billy Graham and some of these other leaders probably have because they so, you know, led millions to the Lord. I don't think that I'm ever going to get high enough to draw full attention from Satan himself. But you know what? One thing I've learned over the years, I, I get a lot more attention from the, from the enemy, you know, over the years. And probably stronger and stronger leaders within it as you get more and more well-known. Uh, we, we see all through here the uh, seven sons of Sceva, when they went out to cast out the demons, uh, if you remember the story in Acts, they go, uh, we cast you out in the, in, by the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, is what they said. And the demons talked to them. Well, demons don't always talk to them. It says, Jesus we know, Paul we're beginning to know, but who are you? And they attacked them and stripped them naked and, and beat them and drove them out of the room. There are those who the demons are beginning to know as they get more and more well-known for what God is using us for. And Elisha, I don't think, fully understands everything he's asking. How many of us ever really understand everything that we're getting into when we step forward for God? We step forward usually thinking, oh, this is really good. I, I, want, I want to do this. I want to do that. And then comes all the attacks that come along with it. You know, and some of them are very subtle attacks. You know, I want to be a teacher and find it very hard to study all week long. And then one thing I can tell you is the week that you have a trouble stu uh, studying is going to be when you have a large, long class. When I, was, when I was back east going to Bible College, I was teaching Sunday school, and our Sunday school was the same time service was. And sometimes the preacher would get long-winded. And he would go for hour and a half to two hours long. You know what days that he would go an hour and a half to two hours long? Were those weeks when I was ready for a one-hour class. Inevitably. I got to where I knew that if I wasn't ready, it was going to be a two-hour message. So I started making sure I was always ready for a two-hour message, and then it usually didn't last that long. You know, but you know, it's always that way. Little things. You know, little things that can cause problems. You know, you're all set to do something, and then you don't feel real well the morning of the, when you're supposed to do it. Somebody gets sick in the family. Uh, the, the heat goes out on the, you know, in, the, in the place you're living at, and, and you wake up freezing, and you can't get, get moving. You know, all kinds of little things can happen to say, are you going to be faithful? And this is important, because we really do want to know what can keep us from serving. And the unfortunate thing is once we know, the enemy knows too. <laughs> And sometimes the enemy knows before we know. 
what will keep us from serving. We need to stay so focused on God that nothing stops us. Now, we are human beings. We're never going to get there. You know, but we can get there in close ways in some, in some things. You know, what will keep us from coming to church? What will keep us from serving God? What will keep us from doing, reading our Bible? What will keep us from spending time with God? We need to be cognizant of those things so that we can put defenses up against them. Because it's important when Satan knows what will keep us from going forward, we need to be able to put up defenses. Military battles are lost when somebody finds a weakness in the defenses. And people will look at both sides and say, where are the weaknesses? You know, if I'm building my defense, I'm going to go, okay, where am I weakest at? And I'm going to put extra protection in there. I'm going to make sure that I have extra guards there. The enemy is saying, all right, where is this place that I can strike them and get inside? And the sad thing for us as human beings is how many times do we put little beachheads inside our soul for Satan? Well, little beachheads. You know, Satan and I, where beachheads where military come in, they land and they spread out from the beachhead. Uh, the military term not, not understood. So, And many of us will sit in, you know, well, you know, God, I just can't get rid of this show. I know it's an ungodly show, God, but I just can't get rid of it. I have got to watch this show every week. Oh, I can tell you, if you know that it's something you're not supposed to be watching, that show is going to have some real bad things getting into your brain. You know, well, you know what, God, you know, I know I gave up my alcohol, but I've got to get these, I've got these hidden bottles all over the house, and I'm going to keep them there just in case. Uh-huh. Your just in case is going to happen, and Satan is going to make sure that you're going to have a just in case. You know, God, I'm, I know you told me to get rid of my pornography, but I'm going to keep all the passwords to these sites just in case so I don't have to re-sign up for everything. <laughs> you know, and we laugh about it, you know, but how many places in our life do we have a just in case? Where we have this little beachhead where Satan has his power in us. Maybe it's a friend that we have that we know we shouldn't be hanging out with very much because we know that every time we hang out with them, we get into trouble. Now, it's bad enough when we hang out with Christians and get into trouble, you know, because that shouldn't be our plan as Christians. But you understand what I'm saying. All of this is out there, and just in case. You know, I'm, I'm going to be out there, and he's saying, I want, what you, I want that double portion. He goes, I don't know that you know what you're asking for. He's not telling him it was a hard thing to accomplish. I think he's telling him very straight up, you are not fully aware of what you're asking. And a good leader does buffer their people from the bulk of what they're going through. Uh, when I was managing, I took the blame for anything that was done in my store, whether I did it or not. Now, and I made one of my bosses really mad one time. He goes, Who's responsible for this? And I go, I was. He goes, you were off that day. I go, I picked the people that were in charge. I'm responsible. Because I knew that my boss could not deal with the person who was responsible correctly. And I had already dealt with it. That person was quite, and this was a pretty serious thing. That person was quite aware that if he ever did it again, they would not have a job. And, you know, I knew my boss was probably going to fire them or say the wrong thing, you know, right off the bat. And I was not going to allow that to happen. But he got mad at me because I would not tell him exactly who it was. He suspected, but he did, you know, I wasn't telling him who was responsible. Because I took that responsibility, and I think this is what Elijah is telling Elisha. You really don't know what you're asking for. It's going to be very hard. You want to be in charge of the schools. You want to be in charge of going to talk to the kings. You want to be in charge of being God's mouthpiece to the people. And all that comes along with that... And maybe that's what they talked about before, while they were walking around waiting for this chariot. I don't know. Maybe he was telling them the various things that, that he's asked for. And he's going, if you see me when I'm taken, you'll get this. If not, you're not going to get this double portion. 
And this is a very powerful request from him. I want to be in charge. And Elijah, Elijah is being very blunt with him, saying, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. And for those people who have been in any kind of management, you know exactly what it means to be in management and take, you know, you got people below you that are mad at you all the time, and you got people above you that are mad at you all the time. It doesn't matter. Somebody's mad at you. Somewhere, somebody, you know, even if you're in business for yourself. You know, so many people think, well, I'm just going to get in business for myself. That way I don't have any bosses. Well, the only problem with being in business for yourself is now you don't have one boss. You have every single customer is a boss. And you might think, well, I can just tell them to go jump in a lake. And you might. If you do, you won't have very many, many customers very long. If you take the attitude that the customer can be told, told off, you won't be in business very long. And this is all that's going on here. And he's saying there's a tough thing coming on. And it, verse three, 11 says, and it came to pass that so he went still on and talked. And behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them asunder. And Elijah went up in a whirlwind. He got to see what he wanted to see. Saw saw him got taken. This kind of interesting. I'm kind of wondering by the way it's phrased here. What is Elisha staying close to him so that maybe he could be taken along with him? Because the chariot, you notice here, the chariot came in between them and split them. Doesn't even say the, the chariot took Elijah, even though we, we, t we talk about that. It says in the scriptures that it separated them. You cannot be right next to each other because I'm taking him. And pulled him out and Elijah went up in a whirlwind into, into the, the heaven. And again, taken, snatched. You know, it's quite amazing when God uses this. We have, in the Bible, we have two actual raptures that happened. Enoch in, chapter, in Genesis chapter, where's my note on it? Chapter 6, verse 24. It says, and Enoch walked with God and was not. Enoch was one of the two people that never have died. He was taken. I mean, he lived a really long life, 365 years in a, in a time frame when everybody was living to be eight and 900 years old. He had walked so close to God that God just snatched him out of the, out, off the face of the world. Elijah ends up with the same privilege. He gets to be snatched up off this world without having died. Very interesting when we look at this. The next raptures will happen when the church is taken. First uh, Thessalonians ver uh, chapter uh, 5, uh, 4, excuse me, verses 16 and 18 talk about the church being snatched from this world. That'll happen sometime soon. Now, church has been looking at it being soon for almost 2,000 years, but I think we are really soon because we're seeing things happen that we've never seen happen before. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. So we have these two men taken already. And the chariot moved them asunder, moved them apart. So when Elisha saw him taken, but was not taken with him. And somehow I think that Elisha was staying real close to him, maybe, maybe hoping that when he goes, I will go. Uh, or there will be something, maybe he was thinking of just, you know, uh, everything, was, the anointing will splash over to me. We don't know what is all involved in here. He knew that Elijah was anointed by God. He wanted to be the next one anointed. The school of the prophets was looking for the next anointed leader to be of their school. Who is going to be the one that can do miracles, who hears directly from God? Samuel anointed Saul, king of Israel. And when Saul was disobedient, Samuel went out and anointed David to be king. The anointing is very important. Moses anointed Aaron and his sons to be priests. And they put 
the blood of the sacrifice on their ear, thumb, and toes. Now, they're big, they're big toe, excuse me. And their big thumb and their ears. And then they anointed him. And in Psalm, it tells us the anointing went over Aaron's head, flowed down his beard, and all the way down to his feet. Now, when, in our day, when we anoint somebody, we take a little finger full of oil and, and basically rub it on their forehead or something. Anointing in the, in the Old Testament was they took a huge quart to a gallon or five gallons of oil and dumped it over their head. Uh, that was an anointing. <laughs> I don't think I would want that much oil dumped over me. <laughs> They all mean the same thing. Snatched, snatched, uh, fetched. And the same thing in harpazo means to snatch. So, and this is the word all through this chapter has been, I'm going to snatch him away. I'm going to fetch him away. So did they fully understand what that meant? I don't know. Uh, you know, they just know that he's not going to come. He's not coming back from wherever he's going. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we have Philip when he went to talk to the Enoch, who was snatched away from the Enoch and showed up seventy some miles away. Now, in his case, he didn't get snatched into heaven, but he got snatched and moved over a long ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very powerful. Even though people talk about the rapture not being the word rapture not being in the Bible. It's, it's taught very clearly, being snatched away. Um, so we look at this process, and yes, we have these two that were taken and never died. And I believe that these two will be the two uh, uh, men at the, uh, prophets at the uh, temple during the end times because it's appointed unto men once to die and after that the judgment. Now, and, I, and I'm not far off on that one. Most people think it's going to be Moses and Elijah because of the miracles that are associated with them, but God is the one that works the miracles. So, and we'll, I won't care because I'll be in heaven at that time, so I won't care who the two prophets are. Is, is Elisha seeing the taking up of Elijah, is that his anointing? He's going to get, he's going to get the anointing that he wanted. Well, he's going to get that anointing. He saw other than, the, other than being separated between them, he saw him taken or disappearing. No. No. He, got, he saw what he asked, he saw what he was supposed to see. Because remember, the anointing of the oil is not what brings the blessing of God on us. It's just a sign of the Holy Spirit coming upon us. Uh, so in this case, He's not getting an oil anointing, but he is getting the Holy Spirit anointing him. And he's going to get the power of, that, he, that he asked for. In that day, was the anointing for this? Yes. No. No. Mm-hmm. And I had some until I lost it. I got to get some more. <laughs> yeah, it's but it is really just the symbol. The power is there with without it. You know, the anointing comes from God. The oil is the symbol of the Holy Spirit coming upon them, and the the asking to be anointed is basically the desire right here. I want I want that power. I want the Holy Spirit. I want I want that to come upon me. Now, he gets it because he asked for it. And he says, if you see me, then you've got your anointed. Basically, as long as you stick with me and don't depart, you will get the, you'll get the anointing. And he got the anointing, as we will see. Yeah. And that's, a, and that's not a problem. Like I said, I used to have one here until it got misplaced. Uh, so I have to buy more. I mean, I'm looking to buy more anyway because I. Would that be the same oil like when people bless people? They use that same oil. 
Mm, could be. Anytime you want the blessing of God, it would, again, the oil represents the Holy Spirit. So, I mean, the laying on of hands can do the same exact thing because that is in the book of Acts. We see the laying on of hands brought the Holy Spirit's presence into people's lives in the power of his life through the laying on of hands. And again, there are indications that if you really want the power of the Holy Spirit, you ask for, the, for that Holy Spirit to be coming upon you. We're all filled with the Holy Spirit and technically can, can have all the power of the Holy Spirit within us. But it is seemingly clear in the, in the New Testament that a lot of times they, they prayed specifically for the Holy Spirit's power to come upon somebody and watched it come upon them. And that was how it was for me. I went forward, asked for it, and got a filling of the Holy Spirit that was different from the one from uh, salvation. You know, that's a powerful scene, too. Mm -hmm. And it is something that is very powerful to ask for prayer and ask for the anointing and to ask for specific desires, and there is power in it. And I'm not going to deny that there is power in asking for the spirit to work in somebody's lives. And, and I have no problem. If anybody wants that, we'll, we'll pray for anybody that wants that because I believe in it. It's very powerful. And here we see Elisha getting what he asked for. Uh, it said that they were separated, they were parted, and Elijah went up in a whirlwind. And then I just want to finish with this one in verse 12. And Elisha saw it. He saw Elijah leave. And he said, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them into two. And that renting of the garments is sorrow. Uh, you know, he's gone. He's not coming back. And there was a, a sad period on this. A sad period on this because he's no longer going to see him. And this is something that we as the followers of God, have a really interesting thing. How do we look at death? It should be very different from the way the world looks at death. Will we mourn? Well, probably. We're not going to see that person. We're going to miss them physically. Should it be desolation to us? If, a, if another Christian dies, there should not be desolation. There should be, they went home. They went home. You know. yeah. Actually, I've had some people get jealous. You know, how did they get to go home first? <laughs> you know, um, I actually had somebody get mad at somebody for going home first. Uh, but, you know, for us as Christians, death is a great advantage. We get to go home. And if somebody who's saved dies, they've gone home. You know, that should not be a complete sadness for us. When my sister died, I told the pastor, I cannot be sad for this. My family's fallen apart because most of them don't know God very well. I knew that my sister was saved. I knew that she'd had cancer and was suffering. I knew she'd made lots of bad choices in her life when she'd walked away from God for a period of time. But I knew that before she died, she'd come back to God and had spent years now following God and I was not sad. I knew where she was, and that didn't bother me. Now, that wasn't something I could tell most of my family. They, didn't, they did not understand, would not understand, even though most of them say they're Christians, they don't live that way. Yeah, it's not, if, you're, if you tell the wrong person that, it, 
Yeah, and, and that's what it means for us as a Christian. We transition from this world to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I am looking forward to the day that I get absent from the body to be present with the Lord. No, no attacks, no, no, no temptations, no trials. I also agree with Paul. I'm torn between the, the two, the desire to be with God and the desire to serve the people that God has me serving. And as long as he has me serving people, I want to be here. The day that I can't serve people, I want it to be over. I, I want to be with God at that point in time. But as long as he's got something for me to do down here, okay, God, give me the strength to do whatever it is you want me to do, and I'm going to be happy to serve you here. But, Father, I'm really looking forward to coming, coming home. Looking forward to the day that I get to come home. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to look at your word, Lord, and to the desire to keep following you and to seek you. Lord, we ask that you will keep us in the center of your will. Help us to make decisions to follow you and to seek you in all that we do. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com. Or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona. 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.